Welcome to episode 42 of Mental Health by TalkLink. Here's what's coming up. I'll never forget one of the Sudanese individuals that I interviewed talked about how coming to Australia in a way was almost more traumatizing because there was a recognition that what was happening in Sudan wasn't okay. Hi, I'm Rowan, and today we're speaking with Dr. Jared White, a clinical psychologist working in private practice at The Mind Room in Collingwood and The Viewpoint Clinic in Caulfield, Melbourne. Much of Dr. White's work was in DBT group therapy, so we initially thought a podcast on that would be quite interesting to people. But as we started talking, um, we realized that Dr. White was actually in the unique position where he's interviewed a lot of Holocaust survivors and a lot of Sudanese genocide survivors for some research he did in how different cultures process trauma and heal from trauma and move on from trauma. So as you can imagine, um, that's just such an interesting space. The conversation just kept going down that line. And so we, we didn't really go that far down the direction of DBT group therapy, perhaps for another episode. But instead, we bring you this conversation, which I'm sure many of you would find um, very interesting, all about trauma and how trauma expresses and is processed differently as a function of cultures and societies. Today's podcast is brought to you by talklink.com.au, a modern and approachable mental health directory, helping Australians connect with the right mental health practitioner. All of the practitioners, so that psychologists, counsellors and psychotherapists, are available to see clients straight away, so there are no waiting lists. They're all independent, licensed and insured, and you can see clients in person or online. The great thing about TalkLink is that you can see a short video of each therapist to get to know them a little, check out their training and experience, as well as their pricing in a transparent way to decide if this is someone that you would like to connect with. Okay, let's dive in. So I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, I currently work at two practices. I work at one practice called The Mind Room, which operates in Collingwood, and another practice called The Viewpoint, which has just opened up in Caulfield. Um, and uh, I've been doing, I guess, uh, you know, for the last seven or eight years, I've been practicing as a clinical psychologist. Um, before that, I did my, my doctorate at Monash University, and my research was on... Um, basically cultural understandings of trauma, trying to look at how different cultures might understand trauma to get a sense of how does culture influence the way we see mental health. Um, that the, the, the articles I wrote there were with specificity around Holocaust survivors and Sudanese refugees, so comparing those two groups and seeing how they understand trauma, the impact of it, and how to work with it. Um, and then from there, I, I worked at the DBT center for about four or five years. That was where I, I cut my teeth, so to speak, on therapy, built a bit of a foundation in the work that I do and, um, and, and really sort of started running groups there and, and doing some individual work before I moved on to these two practices. Yeah. So I guess when we had our original conversation, we went down the DBT path, but, um, in light of the pre-chat we just had, I'm kind of curious, mate, can I just ask you a couple of questions on the idea of trauma yeah, and cultures yeah, uh, and we can tie it in however we want, but um, okay. So I, I guess I didn't have the context um, in the pre-chat that you are culturally Jewish and you've got this historical background and you've been part of doing trips back to um, a lot of concentration camps and basically facilitating groups of Jewish people through that experience. Um, 
so you said you compared the i guess the the holocaust survivor experience with uh sudanese experience um what so i guess my first question is what did you observe in the difference between how those two different cultures manage trauma mm, yeah um great question um i think one of the first critical differences that we found was something that's probably not too surprising when you look at the literature um, was that there was a key difference uh, in the way that um, the Sudanese group, what we might call somatized trauma. Uh, so trauma, the experience of trauma was felt a lot more in the body. A lot of the um, descriptors for the traumatic symptoms were things uh, that were quite physical sensations. So someone described it as, um, you know, uh, blood pumping around their heart. Um, and uh, another person described it as like aches in their head and things like this that were uh, the expressions of it. Um, whereas Holocaust survivors, uh, we were a lot more conceptual and um, cognitive um, descriptors of what was going on. So I think, you know, what you're seeing there in a way is like what, what the literature would talk about is really a split um, in the um, uh, way we conceptualize the mind, really. So that, that was one of the things that we really came at uh, the whole project from or the whole research project from initially was looking at a theory of mind as a way that it relates to different cultural groups. Um, you know, the separation of mind and body as being a very Western concept um, that's not so embedded in, in, in a lot of Eastern cultures and um, that, it, it, that the, our separation in the Western world has really allowed for a separation even in medical and psychological practices um, or psychiatric practices. So that was one of the first key differences that we've seen um, or that we saw. I think a second key one that, that I found really fascinating um, and there might be more to it that's worth speaking about. The second one was Holocaust survivors would talk about um, remembering, like the, the importance of remembering and, and going back and thinking about it and talking about it and um, being able to uh, utilize it and share it with future generations and this kind of thing. Um, whereas the Sudanese refugees uh, were talking about like moving on from it, um, leaving in the past, not remembering it and finding ways to not think about it. And that could speak to two, that can speak to two things. One, that could be a cultural uh, thing that, you know, uh, that, that, that maybe, finding a way into the difference between the two but it could also be a time factor um that 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 you know uh holocaust was 70 years ago and the jewish community is established in melbourne in the sense that they've kind of been there for a while and they've got a very strong um geographical location that where they where they stay and they've got structures like synagogues and things like that that are well established and so they maybe have the luxury of being able to look back now and say okay how can we use this i mean for a long time holocaust survivors didn't look back you know for, for for you know up until the 80s really they they didn't look back so it might be that the passage of time has allowed for that to happen uh, but there may also be something cultural in that where you know it, it, being jewish i you know we every year we tell a story of passover which is um moses and the jews fleeing egypt from thousands and thousands of years ago you know we basically say all right trauma happened let's talk about it and then let's eat you know, that's, that's kind of Jewish tradition wrapped up in one. 
And I guess part of that experience is remembering the slavery in Egypt and the oppression and the trauma from that that extended period of slavery of the Jewish people. So there's a trauma element there, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, uh, you know, other other festivals that we have, uh, like Hanukkah, for example, was the destructions of the temple. So there's a trauma in that, and we kind of talk about the trauma, remember the trauma, and then eat donuts. So it's like it's kind of like we, <laughs> we feed ourselves on the trauma. <laughs> yeah. Remember the trauma and have a meal. <laughs> I mean, is there something, do you think there's something therapeutic about that process? And I, I mean, my real question, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my other question would be, have you, do you have any insights on the two different ways of dealing with trauma and, and how someone can take some lessons from that today who's carrying their own trauma? Mm, yeah, I mean... It's really a good question. Um, I think it's it's it's. I couldn't come at any from it from any sort of judgmental perspective of what's good or what's bad or anything like that. Because really, you know, one of the things that was really paramount is like what do what works. You know, what works for you at the time. So, so you know, sometimes it's about being functional. Sometimes it's about remembering, having the safe spaces to remember. Um, but but maybe that there is a progression, or that this that, that this that there's a time for everything. Um, that that you know one of the insights might be that um, number one, like trauma symptoms can differ. Like there's no one way to experience trauma, um, and just because we have like a PTSD diagnosis that has certain set, sets of symptoms, if you don't fit into that PTSD diagnosis, that doesn't mean you don't have trauma. And it also doesn't mean that you um, aren't experiencing something traumatic or, 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 aren't, or haven't you know, experienced what we might call trauma from a mental health perspective. So that, that's one thing, that there's many different ways to experience it, but also that there's many different ways to um, work on finding meaning in it. Um, and um, it might not be the time to find meaning. It might be that right now the meaning is about being functional and figuring out how to, to, to live in a new environment. I think one thing I wanted to mention about the Sudanese experience is that in a way it's still happening, you know, in a way there's still conflict there. So like remembering something that's still happening is also like, well, there's a bit of a conundrum in that, you know, um, that, that, that there's still stuff going. So, so, so being functional is so important. Um, so, I think it's about uh, one thing. One thing is about just normalizing that, 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 that there's so many different ways to experience it. Um, and maybe that one thing we did find in both groups that was really quite powerful was being able to use the experience somehow. So, and I think you find this in, in lots of different mental health research on trauma. Um, you know, uh, Derek Silov is, is brilliant when it comes to trauma research and has done a lot in terms of cultural comparison. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one of the things they talk about just as much as things we found is that things like finding meaning, safety and belonging, being able to find a sense of justice um, and attachment, like where are we going to attach now that we've kind of had this shattering of worlds, these things are kind of really important and, and can be cross-cultural. Like the, 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 the way we connect with other humans after the trauma is something that's really important. 
So something like, yeah, it was tough, but it's made me a stronger person, a better person. It's given me extra skills. Give me that that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, to put it really in a one-dimensional sense. Exactly, but that 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 can take time. You know, Um, that 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 takes time to be able to get to that place, and that there's, you know, like I'll never forget one of the Sudanese individuals that I interviewed talked about how coming to Australia in a way was almost more traumatizing because there was a recognition that what was happening in Sudan wasn't okay. You know, when you're around it all of a sudden, you know, it, when you're there, it, it's almost a bit more normalized, but then coming here and seeing that actually people don't act in this way regularly. Um, there's not as the conflict that I experienced every day there's almost a more traumatizing component to that. Um, and so when it comes to like finding the meaning in it, uh, that can take time. And, and um, yeah, it, it is something that both groups talked about as being helpful and being beneficial. And I think one, that was one similarity that we came to is that both groups attempted to use it in a certain way to, to fuel their identity but that it um it can it can it, it's such a, a long process mm-hmm. did, did your work involve a lot of face-to-face time with um i guess sudanese refugees and holocaust survivors yeah so we we conducted um we did both qualitative and quantitative work so the quantitative was in a lot of um measurements that we did um I'm struggling to even remember now which ones we used. We understood it was seven or eight years ago. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but yeah, I will never forget the face-to-face interviews, the qualitative work. You know, we'd sit down and we'd, we, we, we really did kind of work that was, we had, you know, six questions that were sort of our fail-safes and we'd work off them, but they were very much open, in, open interviews. And so, you know, people would talk about their stories and talk about how they experience it now and how they deal with it now. And even being able to, you know, as, as, as you mentioned earlier, I've got a Jewish background and being able to talk to 12 to 15 Holocaust survivors when they're not going to be around for that much longer and be able to have video footage of them was a very special thing to be able to do per, on a personal level, um, but also on like a memorialization level. Um, being able to have those conversations and bring bring some of the things to to air um, was very cool. Yeah, in that suite of conversations, is there anything that really still sits with you? Or I'm sure all of it does, but are there any you know real standout points for you? People you met or stories you heard? Well, um, one of them was uh, there's one uh, woman who I obviously won't mention her name, but. I remember, you know, her talking about what happens now. Still, you know, she's she would be close to 90. And so, you know, she experienced the Holocaust in her 20s. And still to this day, when she goes to bed, you know, she will have the lights off and she'll hear footsteps and she'll hear marching and she'll hear... Um, and so sometimes she'll turn the lights on, look outside the window. Um, just she knows no one's going to be there. But... Um, it's just kind of her, just for her own sense of peace and safety, that this is still with her, that memory is still with her, which actually 
if you if you don't mind, I'm just going to revert back to your previous question. That was also one of the similarities that we found, um, which is that the memory stays; it it doesn't go, and that both groups seem to come to the place of of recognizing that you know Sudanese were saying try not to think about it, but that doesn't mean you'll forget it. You know, um, not thinking about something is not the same as forgetting it. You will remember it, and so um, I think that was. A profound thing to walk away from the whole research from just knowing that uh, trauma is something that you that stays with you um, and there's a difference between healing something so that it's gone and healing something so that there's a wound and um, you still have that wound there um, but it's part of you so I mean that story was was just hearing her talk about the way it still impacts her now is was quite profound and then you know there was one um, just to kind of bring some balance, there was a Sudanese individual as well who I spoke to, who, um, you know, th what she went through was just particularly, yeah, it was particularly uh, connected to to something in there, maybe being like, um, you know, there's maybe a responsibility in a family that she felt that I connected to or something like that where it's so different. Uh, um, you know, obviously can't, can't relate to, to the actual experience. Um, but something resonated with me where she was talking about running and fleeing her her hometown and she was running with her mum and her baby sibling and, you know, just her mum and the baby falling over and them having to make decisions about whether to keep carrying this baby um, as they're fleeing, you know, things, things that are just horrific, horrific. Um, well... I want to know, coming from the space where you are now, working out of, um, you know, recent riots and civil unrest in Melbourne from all the lockdowns and, and vax mandates aside, Melbourne is typically a very stable, safe place. Um, now working in Melbourne, uh, do you see a lot of the ways in which people process trauma and the way in which it impacts them map directly onto non-wartime or non-genocidal contexts because I guess the previous two examples are all about genocide. They're all about trying to erase entire groups of people whereas your clients here in Melbourne, I, I assume, would probably be sexual or, or, um, or family violence victims. Do you see that behavior patterns, coping mechanisms and process of healing m mapping on closely to these other types of trauma? Well, yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think that I, I'll say two things to that. The first is that I'm uh, learning. I'm still so fresh in the game. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm seven years into being a psychologist at, at practicing as a clinical psych and, and I have supervisors who I see who are, you know, have just a, an amazing wealth of knowledge who just know so much about this space that, 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 that are brilliant. And, 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 you know, so I'm, I'm very, very early in the game but uh, i think one thing i've been learning from them is is just how you know when we think of trauma we think of car accidents we think so think of war we think of um you know the, the big the big stuff and often we talk about that as trauma with a capital t but that trauma in a way everyone has trauma the thing you know trauma is the shattering of worlds uh, where the way you saw the world prior no longer fits because something's happened 
that has completely shattered that lens. And so you're left there trying to pick up the pieces going, what, how do I fit them together into, to form this new way of seeing things with that bit of information? And it's that repetition of behavior where we repeat the same thing uh, that we did in that initial trauma as a way of coping. Now, maybe it was functional then, but maybe it's no longer functional now. And that trauma response might still be happening um, because we're talking about a a fight or a flight style response. Yeah, in a way, exactly. Like we've gone into our trauma reaction, which is that um, experience we had when we had the initial trauma. um, And it's almost like our prefrontal cortex has gone offline and we're just repeating a rote behavior, which was functional, but is no longer functional. And that, I guess, is something that we all experience as human beings. It's, it's, it's a survival mechanism. Um, and if we're going to, you know, be zebras in um, a forest or in the grasslands and the tiger's there, it's pretty, pretty, pretty effective. Every time a tiger's there, just get out of there, you know, kick, let's kick it in. But, but obviously our world's a bit more uncertain, open, so it might not be so so in a way that's kind of one of the things i'll say that you know what we're seeing today in melbourne um i think this division and um we can certainly map it onto that that everyone's going through a trauma and everyone's going into their base reaction in ways not you know not to say everyone's doing that but but that you will see that we'll see that playing out in terms of like what i'll see in the clinical space I would say that I'm learning again more and more, and this is from uh, my own therapists who I see for my therapy or from my supervisors again, um, and from other psychologists that I speak to in the space, that um, I'm learning more and more about the critical nature of culture in what's happening for an individual. Like you cannot understand an individual and it doesn't matter where you're from or what your background is. We all have a culture of some kind. We all have um, a history. And I think a lot of my work is now starting to incorporate that where we actually explore that, you know, transgenerational trauma. I'm going to, you know, you mentioned I've taken some trips to Poland. Uh, there's no, it's not a coincidence. You know, my grandmother was, was a Holocaust survivor. Like it's impacted me to the point where I feel a sense of urgency to do something enough urgency that I'm going back there. Um, and, and how that impacts me today is, you know, stuff from my own, room. but, um, but, uh, you know, that, 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 that everyone kind of has that history and that story and, and often, uh, we're disconnected from it. Uh, we, we, we sort of don't, we don't, we don't pick those pieces up and say, well, how does that all fit? And that's part of therapy, I think. Being able to go back there and be able to talk about that and then create a complete picture of ourselves. Um, you know, that's what maybe Jung was referring to when he talks about um, individuation and, and uh, Russell, to, I think self-actualization. So, you know, like, it's like, bringing all the pieces um, together and, and, and seeing how it fits into a whole is, uh, I think, like, you know, really mapping onto that idea that culture does mediate the way we see things. You know, when, so when you talk about the trauma, what we're looking at 
and, and try and understand is what is the traumatic component of it? You know, um, is it, uh, for example, um, is it that, you know, um, I've had a client where they've been um, sexually abused by their uncle and the traumatic component of that was that um, not so much, well, I mean, obviously it was horrific, but, but it was more that their mother was there on the floor drunk at the time, that the mother wasn't around to do anything, that the father wasn't there. Those things were the traumatic things as opposed to necessarily the experience itself. It was, it was what was happening around. So, that, so I'd say that number one, like I guess in those things, what we're looking to understand is what is, what is the, the, the real traumatic component to it for the individual? Um, but then in mapping that onto culture, I suppose, um, you know, you were saying, does the cultural lens in a way change how we might experience that trauma? Um, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be inclined to say that it would be simply from the, the knowledge base that, um, culture is our, you know, our way of seeing things it's it's how we learn ideas and beliefs and stories and and make sense of the world so by by definition in a way uh, which is how what what inspired us to sort of do this research you know and, and it is something that that you know as psychologists we're often taught to i don't know how well but we're taught to consider culture as a component in in mental health um but that that it's a shaping of ideas and beliefs about ourselves and about the world. So necessarily it's going to influence what is and what is not traumatic. Um, so, and, you know, like this story of this Sudanese woman that I was telling you about, who was saying that once in Australia, she, you know, it was almost more traumatic than being in, in Sudan because you realize what, you know, what was going on, that there's, a, you know, a real sense of, um, what might be traumatizing later it was not necessarily traumatizing at the time there was something about the bridge of time that allowed it to be traumatizing for her um and so what we see and what we're around i imagine would shape how we experience something that's traumatic um so so definitely that there's a a, a cultural influence in in that um Jared, it sounds like really interesting work. I think we're out of time, so um, maybe we'll leave it there for today. But thank you for sharing your thoughts and your insights. Um, and oh, thank no you for, your, for sharing your expertise, yeah. Thanks for that. That was a lot of fun. Okay, well, that's it for today. We hope that you've enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Jared White. You can find us at talklink.com.au. Keep well and see you soon.